Hi, and welcome to episode 206 of the Untethered Podcast. Today, we have Dr. Derek Gata joining us. Dr. Derek grew up in Newport, Rhode Island. He completed his undergraduate at Vanderbilt University, and after finishing dental school at Nova Southeastern University, Dr. Derek spent eight years in the Navy. He completed his residency in prosthodontics at Walter Reed in 2014 and currently maintains his private practice in Boca Raton, Florida. Quick disclaimer, all information, content, and material of this podcast are the opinions of the speakers and is for the informational purpose only and not intended to serve as a substitute for the consultation, diagnosis, and or medical treatment of a qualified healthcare provider. Welcome to the Untethered Podcast. I am your host, Hallie Balkin. I'm a certified orofacial myologist, feeding specialist, and mentor. This podcast is all about getting your questions answered and collaborating with colleagues to bring you the most up-to-date information in the orofacial myofunctional therapy, tethered oral tissue, and airway space. I challenge you to keep an open mind and join my mission to get this information out to the masses. Let's get started. Hey friends, mark your calendars because the Mayo membership is opening the week of March 20th through 24th. Go to the MyoMembership.com, get on the wait list. You're the first to find out when doors open. We cannot wait to see you inside. Derek, welcome to the podcast. Hey, so great. Thank you for having me today. Yeah, so I think we should tell everybody first, you are my dentist now that I live in Boca. And <laughs> I actually came to find you through a Facebook group for my community. And someone said, hey, my dentist makes his own toothpaste. And I was like, wait a second, I might know who this is. Yeah, with the, it's, a, it's an honor and a pleasure. And uh, thank you for letting us care for you. Yeah, I love it. So um, I would love for you, we're going to get into Rizal and all that fun stuff, but I would love for you to tell us a bit first about your own journey into dentistry. Yeah, sure. Um, so after finishing uh, college, I was looking for an opportunity in healthcare. And as a young child, I broke my front tooth. So I was horrified. I really discovered firsthand how a lack of self-esteem and confidence is directly connected to your smile. And, you know, my family dentist, great guy, my, my, my parents still see him up in Rhode Island. And, you know, he has a great way about him blending the science and the art of dentistry really helped restore my smile. Along with another investment with orthodontics and braces, uh, I felt more like myself. And I really wanted to help transmit that good feeling to other people, really capture my love of science. Um, and the artistic side of dentistry really kind of fit my personality and migrated to South Florida, ended up going to, to dental school down here. I was on a Navy scholarship and helped uh, travel uh, the world with them. And uh, after that, came back to South Florida to, to start my journey and practice down here. I love that. So at what point was Risewell born? When did that come to? So uh, as you may well be aware in South Florida has very, very high dental IQ people, very health conscious part of the population, which is wonderful. And we had a lot of people complaining about having a lot of interesting or unknown chemicals and, and detergents in products. And they were, they were very health conscious looking for a better alternative. And in conjunction with that, uh, my sister and her husband, they've been very open about some of the fertility challenges they've been ha having, and they were looking to start their own family. And they were talking to some of the IVF uh, uh, professionals. And he's like, look, guys, you got to get healthier. You're spending a lot of money. We really want to increase the odds of you conceiving and, and being able, being successful in starting your family. And they're like, all right, we, we get it. Uh, the food stuff we can do, you know, throw out all, the, all the, the bad stuff and get healthier, starting with eating and nutrition. But looking at their beauty products and some of the products that not only go in your body, but on your skin, and in your hair and, and what you're using for your oral 
uh, healthcare, they're like, wait a minute, there's got to be a better way. We applaud other companies who were trying to decrease the detergents and toxins in their uh, toothpaste and in products. But if you're not using flora, you may as well be brushing with water because that's one of the effective ingredients. Um, and so we discovered hydroxyapatite. Oh, well, excuse me, we didn't discover it, but we, we wanted to use it, incorporate it into the, the, the Risewell brand here and family. Um, and so we're, we found an effective ingredient able to get rid of all the, the unnecessary chemicals and garbage that are in a lot of products that are out there. Um, and so really their, their journey to start a family and live a healthier, uh, more well-balanced life kind of led us to the journey of, uh, of founding Risewell. I, I love that. That was one of the things too, right? When I was, we were planning to have our first child and I started to eat organic and I was like making a big deal about, you know, it was like one step at a time, but you know, I, I joke that I'm, I'm a kind of crunchy where, you know, we eat organic, we eat grass fed, you know, dairy and meat products. We are very conscious of what we put on our body and our body, even the cleaning products in my home and, you know, so on and so forth. Um, and so it was really exciting. We were living in Maryland at the time when I discovered Risewell myself. My dentist actually was a, um, she's a, I want to say this, biological dentist. Um, so holistic dentist, biological dentist, airway centric, whatever you want to call it, all of the above. Um, and they were carrying it in their office. And my kids, loved it, did not, you know, I have one child who's like a really picky eater, very sensory, sensitive to other stuff. And from the get-go, she was all about the mint, you know, the more minty flavor, whereas my my youngest is all about the cake flavor. She just, they love their toothpaste and we've used it now. I mean, I don't know when you guys launched this or when it became a thing, but I feel like we've been using it for at least three plus, is it been at least three years? When did you guys launch? Yeah, this? yeah about, about four years ago. So you're one of the early okay. adopters. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I like we've been using it. I wanted to say since before the pandemic, um, and like right before we started using it, maybe. And it's it's really been my whole family uses it, so we love it. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about what hydroxyapatite is and why you know for people who maybe you mentioned you know if it doesn't have the fluoride in it, this is something that you would want to have in place of that. You know, how does that all? Yeah, sure. All? Yeah, sure. So, so. Um... Hydroxyapatite at its essential level is calcium and phosphate. So it's naturally occurring in your enamel. It's what your teeth and bones are already made of. So it's really wonderful that we have a remineralizer that exists in nature. It's not extra chemicals or, or detergents that we're throwing into your body on top of all the other endocrine disrupting stuff that's already in the environment and we're putting in our bodies. And funny enough, uh, when we were doing research for this project, uh, we realized that NASA... <laughs> goes back to looking at when astronauts are coming back from space in a zero gravity environment, uh, the bone density changes and there are some physiological changes happening in a zero gravity environment. And they wanted to try and remineralize and re-strengthen these astronauts that were coming back from their missions. And so they were the ones that really had the idea to use hydroxyapatite to try and reinvigorate and remineralize any deleterious effect that had occurred in a zero gravity environment. And so when we picked up on that research, we actually discovered that companies in Japan, they've been using hydroxyapatite in their oral care products for decades. And it was really, really interesting to, to see that because it kind of gave us more proof of concept that, you know, I love being an early adopter, but people are already using this. And it was wonderful to kind of see that. So we were like, let's incorporate this into our brand. And it's biomimetic, it's bioavailable. Uh, non-toxic, it's already occurring in your body. So it just has a lot of wonderful uh, advantages compared to other uh, products that are out there. 
I love that. Um, and that's that's super helpful because I think a lot of people go like, what is this? How would it benefit me compared to what is out there? And so I think understanding some of that really um, just makes it more easily attainable for some of our listeners I know who will be like, well, what is this? I've never heard of this before. Um, they've probably heard us talk about some of this because I've had a lot of different dentists on this podcast over the past three years. But um, when it comes to like cavities, for example, I've heard some dentists say, and I don't know your thought process on this, but if we feel like there's a tooth that's a little sensitive or if we're concerned that maybe we're headed towards a cavity, they've said, you know, we'll put the rival toothpaste on the tooth and leave it on. Don't rinse it off afterwards. Like, can you, is that, is that something you recommend? Can you explain absolutely. that? A bit? Yeah, absolutely. So, so one of the, the great advantages of a hydroxyapatite is increasing your contact time. And so maybe during the day, it may not be practical, but at night, right before bed, once you're finished with your routine, take a little dab, put it on any of those precarious lesions that your dentist may have been mentioning. Uh, to really help increase the contact time while you sleep, or if you have a night tray, put it in your night tray. Uh, really helps put it right up against uh, those areas. And, and the, the research is really positive, looking at the remineralizing effect of hydroxyapatite on precarious lesions. And now we're really just looking at the the pre-cavity lesions that are still in enamel. So just the anatomy of the tooth for a second. You got the pulp in the middle, where the tooth gets the nerve and blood supply. The dentin is the next layer. Then you have the enamel. The enamel is the outer layer. And that's what's very deceiving about cavities, unfortunately, is that the enamel layer does not have any nerve endings. So when that decay is happening in the early stages, you won't feel it. And that's why it's very misleading too when you go to a dentist and they say, oh, you have cavities. It's like, well, gee, doc, I don't feel anything. You sure? Uh, well, that's why, because in the initial stages, you won't feel anything. Now, by the time you feel something, that's when the decay is spread to the dentin. The dentin is a uh, softer material, so the decay spreads faster. So at that point, uh, the filling or restorative uh, fill, uh, material they would use uh, would have to be a little little bigger because it's, it's spread at that point. Um, and also, when you look at the, the physiology of the decay process, a lot of it depends on, on pH, so the, the acid, acidity level in your mouth. And so there's a theory that describes when the pH is below 5.5, when you have an acidic environment, essentially after you eat a meal, that creates the ripe conditions for the bacteria that we all have in our mouth naturally occurring. It starts to ferment those sugars, creating the acids that then demineralize and weaken the tooth. Uh, so the, the cavity forming process is dynamic, meaning the tooth can demineralize and then it can remineralize. And saliva is a great buffering capacity as well. So saliva contains the, uh, the supply of calcium and phosphate needed to remineralize and recharge that enamel structure and prevent that uh, acidic attack from spreading. And that's why having a supply of hydroxyapatite or uh, you know, eating milk and cheeses, uh, having that calcium and phosphate right up against that tooth is really helpful. And also trying to minimize your exposure to acids. When I was in the military, I had a lot of patients uh, that were working crazy shifts, crazy hours, and, and you know, thank you for their service. They're wonderful human beings, but they worked crazy hours under a lot of stress, always a state of hypervigilance. A lot of them were just consuming many of those uh, energy drinks that are highly acidic, highly charged with sugar and yeah, they taste great and get you pepped up. But man, that stuff just blows through your enamel. You gotta be so careful. So I really encourage people, use a straw, use the diet kind or try and wean yourself off them completely if you can, uh, because that constant exposure of acids uh, just has such deleterious effects for your, for your fragile enamel. Yeah, that's... That's amazing. And it just makes me think about, you know, the products out there and just being a mom, you know, put my profession aside, who's 
trying to just understand the science and understand the impact of like all these different toxins that, you know, we think we're doing so well. And then all of a sudden a new study comes out and something tells us that this isn't healthy for you anymore. That's not healthy. Or this causes cancer. This does that. Um, it's, you know, it's never like the impact of toothpaste on my teeth, right? When I thought I was doing the best for my teeth. Um, and then I started to learn about everything you're talking about here compared to what is out there. It's really been, I think, eye-opening for me to even understand that there are healthier products, healthier ingredients, more naturally recurring, you know, things in our body that we can use. So I love all of this information because I think it's it's just very helpful to understand, you know, the science behind it. Is there anything else that, you know, from you've taught, mentioned research now, have you guys done your own research or have you really focused on research from other companies who've been using this for, you know, decades? We, we've been using research that's currently available in the profession from institutions, the organizations that are out there as a, as a small uh, startup, you know, funding for these uh, research projects are, are millions of dollars. And yes. although, although we're, we're growing and getting traction and a lot of attention, we're, we're not quite there yet, but uh, the research is readily available and, and we can share those, those research packs out there. Um, but it is, it is rewarding because we want to make sure that we follow the science. Uh, and yes. if the science changes, we can change our formula. Um, but the the stance on hydroxyapatite is really encouraging as a remineralizer. And look, we're not against fluoride. Fluoride works, but you know what? Metal fillings work. If you want metal fillings, they work. I think we're at a point in time where there there are better better options that you'd want to be putting in your body. Yeah. And I think we've kind of come a long way uh, with with the ingredients in our toothpaste as well. And you know, I I love my dental colleagues and the, the dental education I got was just uh, great. And I'm very appreciative for all of that. But with like any government institution or large academic body, they're, they're slow moving and they want to be, be cautious and whatever they introduce into the curriculum, it's got to be backed by decades and decades of research. And, you know, that might not be there for uh, hydroxyapatite, but the research that we do have is very, very positive and promising as a remineralizer. And I think as it gains more and more traction, you'll see that introduced into the curriculum more and more. Um, but, you know, sometimes uh, Florida is, is kind of like a religion. It's like you're 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 a, you're a believer, and uh, yes, it helps to to remineralize. But at what cost? When you look at the back of a traditional toothpaste tube, you know it says "call poison control" if you swallow too much. Well, well, how much is too much? And you know should not be, should, should not should not be used for children under six. It's like, oh, really? Well, that's that's when kids are maybe have the, some of the worst dietary habits possible when they're chomping snacks and and fruit juices and. And swallowing their toothpaste. <laughs> exactly. And, and when they and, and yeah, when they can't control their their swallowing muscles uh, fully, uh, so you just got to be careful. And the, the price of that is potentially fluorosis. Like when you swallow too much fluoride, that gets incorporated into the enamel structure and, and makes it more kind of that modeled, modeled, unattractive appearance, unfortunately, that happens. And with, with providers with all best of intentions to prevent cavities, uh, you guys just got to wonder at what cost and are there better alternatives uh, that are out there on the market? Yeah, no, that's that's absolutely um, that's correct. And, you know, working with a lot of children in my own practices that we, we do feeding therapy, we do orofacial myofunctional therapy, these kids and adults, we work with adults with myo stuff as well. You know, they don't have great control over their tongue. They don't have great control over the liquids in their mouth and swallowing. They may not have a medically complex swallowing disorder, but they still, as far as the oral phase, you know, bolus prep and swallow goes, they really have very little control and they're going to swallow probably most of what enters your mouth. We have to teach a lot of them what spitting is. We have to teach them we brush teeth and then spit. We don't just swallow because it, you know, it hits the back of the throat and that triggers the automatic 
swallow and all of a sudden here we are. Um, so it's, you know, it's one of those things where just as a private practice owner, I've always thought of how can we avoid certain foods? A lot, a lot of people in therapy practices will use foods as rewards. And I've never been big about that because I don't like to reward children's food, period. But also a lot of them tend to be not the healthiest options <laughs> that we use that really are enticing to children. Here's a piece yeah. of broccoli. Great job. Yeah. <laughs> Yay. Um, so yeah, it's just, I, I get so excited about these kinds of things because as you said early on, the it's not just about the food that we put in our body, which is obviously a very important component, but about the products that we put on our body and, you know, in our mouth as well, um, beyond food. So as a dentist, do you have, do you do like nutritional counseling or do you talk about like the impact of nutrition on the oral cavity or anything with the patients? Absolutely. Yeah. I think, I think, uh, you know, uh, there's work from the 1930s by Dr. Weston Price, who is kind of like a, an anthropologist slash Indiana Jones slash, well, he's definitely a dentist, but but he was a dentist that was doing incredible work out in the field. He took time away from his practice and wrote this incredible book. And a lot of it uh, revolves around nutrition and, and looking at the comparative mouths of native populations that are away from the Western diet and how the introduction of the Western so-called diets that are high in refined carbohydrates, sugars, unbleached flowers or bleached flowers. And, um, you know, the, this, the disaster effects that had on the nutrition of the, these native populations. And he's got great photography and, and was funny how, you know, science comes on full circle. I mean, he was telling about this almost a hundred years ago and uh, we, we've seemed to have strayed and drifted from that, but yeah, absolutely. Food is medicine. And we're really looking at, and again, I don't want to be the fun police. Look, you only live once you got to enjoy your life, but just understanding the consequences of high sugars, high acids, and also everything you eat really uh, reduces to pretty much three things. You got fats, proteins, and sugars. Um, and so even things that you may not think are cavity-causing agents, um, you know, they, they could be. I mean, not just sugars, cookies, sweets, but also things like crackers and salty-type foods and, and uh, carbohydrates. They all reduce to sugars. Not saying you can't enjoy your life and have them, but just, you know floss afterward, be, be a dental nerd, keep a toothbrush and, and floss at work. Uh, I mean, you really want to clean out that sludge after, after every meal and don't let it sit between, between your teeth. But yeah, we, we definitely talk about nutrition and what people can do to mitigate some of these risk factors. And it's really unfortunate that, you know, in 2023, it's still such a highly prevalent, but yet preventable disease that affects just, you know, millions of, of people around the world. Um, so I think there are just better, better alternatives and, and hopefully more and more practitioners are getting the word out there on, on nutrition, because that is kind of the, the bedrock on, on uh, preventing this disease. Yeah. I'll, I'll have to see what my daughter says when she comes home from her pre-K class today, because they, her school has a dentist coming. So here okay. we are, we went to celebrate Shabbat and her birthday and <laughs> get all the mini cupcakes. And then I'm like, they're, they're food diet free. I got them in whole. That's right. <laughs> the dentist, the dentist is coming next. He's going to love this. I was like, that's I'm going to leave before he enters. So that's funny. <laughs> but it is, I believe, and I saw my friend too, who, um, who my colleague that we used to go to when I lived in Maryland, the biological dentist was in her daughter's preschool today to giving talks to all the children in her kids' class and everything. And and then I said, oh, it's dental, like it's like Dental Health Awareness Month or something. Yeah, so exactly. Yeah. Appropriate that we're yeah. recording today. <laughs> yeah. Go dental. Yeah. It's funny too because just. As I've gotten more into the airway space and the myofunctional therapy space and not just the speech pathology, speech, you know, articulation, language, and just, and feeding even beyond that, 
um, into tetherall tissues, airway, and myo. And the more and more dentists that I've met in this space, it's really been very eye-opening to me because I feel that, and I joke all the time, that dentists are going to be like the pediatricians of the future. So much of our health starts in our mouth. And if we're not looking at what we're eating, how we're chewing, where our tongue rests, we're navel breathing, if our lips are closed, you know, all of these things that I'm sure you know well as a dentist, but that seems to be the root cause of so many health issues with our kids these days, whether it's, you know, ADHD, they're exhausted because their mouth breathing and they get, they've disrupted sleep and sleep disorder breathing and all these other things that we're just, we're seeing such an uptick, um, the inflammation of tissues surrounding mouth breathing and, and all these issues. You know, I just, I, I keep saying it and I'm like, maybe it'll become, it'll come true 10 years from now. You know, you guys will be the pediatricians of the future. <laughs> you make a great point. I mean, a lot of people see us more per year than they see their uh, their primary care physicians. So we're actually at a wonderful point to intervene and, and really help get these people to the right specialist, especially in your field too. I mean, uh, I'm, I'm not sure exactly when uh, a breathing or, or tongue position condition might be considered a problem versus just normal development. And, and I don't see children, so I guess that's not really my specialty, but absolutely in regards to, to mouth breathing, absolutely, it, we should be encouraging nose breathing for, for youngsters and just people as a whole as the, the palate and teeth are developing, that gentle pressure of your tongue up in the palate, when you're breathing through your nose, that helps to gently continue to expand the arch and really try and get that, that beautiful alignment of a, of a nice horseshoe arch uh, for the development of the, of the adult teeth. And when you're breathing through your mouth, when your mouth is open, that tongue drops, there's no pressure on the palate. And so you're just getting that, that gentle force of the lips and musculature on the outside of the face kind of pushing and crowding the arch. Uh, and that leads to malocclusion, higher incidence of uh, needing orthodontia uh, later on. And also, I mean, your, your nose is designed for breathing. It's, it's uh, better to filter and warm the air and, and keep pathogens out of your throat uh, in those regards. And, and also looking at people that are higher incidence for decay, uh, mouth, breathing, mouth breathing is a contributor for that. Uh, because when you dry out your saliva, you don't have that protective reservoir of calcium and phosphate that's continuously bathing the enamel, helping to remineralize any weakened spots. Uh, and so, so from a cardiology standpoint, breathing through your nose is, is the preferred method as well. Um, and I know there are products out there like mouth tape, and I'm not, not sure what your philosophy and some of these different techniques are. You're probably a better expert than, than I am, but I, I do talk to people about mouth breathing as well um, to try and um, address that and, and seek attention where, where appropriate. Yeah, no, you brought up a couple of great things. So we do expect that at birth, a baby can rest with their tongue up on the palate, lips together, you know, their gums are going to be slightly apart, future teeth will be slightly apart at rest with their, you know, nose nice and patent. Obviously, at birth, some children are still being suctioned and things have to clear for a couple of weeks. But ultimately, you really should be nasal breathers with their tongue up and their lips closed um, from day one. And we are finding, at least from some of the research and some of the things being done, that these children who um, are not are, well, there's two sides of the puzzle here. So some of my colleagues were doing some research out of UPenn, I believe, um, like Dr. Kevin Boyd and Mariana Evans. I don't know if you're familiar with them. Um, they've been studying prehistoric skulls and also talking similarly about, you know, like the Weston A. Phrase conversation. Epigenetically, what's happening with our, the shape of the bones and our oral facial structures? And we are seeing it shrink. Our jaws are shrinking, bottom line, right? Let's put it simply. 
Um, and then we have that further collapse when the tongue is on the floor of the mouth and it's not up there helping to shape the palate. They're not needful breathing. So, you know, they're not getting all the benefits you just explained um, or, you know, helpful when we nasal breathe. Um, and so we always say, you know, your tongue is that palate expander for your mouth. And when it doesn't function as one, then things start tend to collapse. We might have those high narrow palates. We get these babies at first who are having trouble breast and or bottle feeding because their tongue is not where it's supposed to be. Their palate's not shaped properly to help with the proper suck, swallow, breathe. And so we're actually, you're seeing a lot of um, uptick at first. And, and sometimes they'll, they'll feed well for three, four months and then we'll get a phone frantic phone call from a parent who's returning to work or all of a sudden things just kind of fell off the bandwagon um, and the baby's reflexes are integrating and now things are not so automatic anymore. And now the baby has to actually volitionally feed and we have these issues. So we, we specialize a lot in that and the, and the work that I do and in the courses I teach and everything. Um, but we're also, we also know that with the tethered oral tissues, which is, you know, always been around and it's a big hot topic. Some people believe in it, some people don't. Um, but we do see the impact of those as well because it's pulling the tongue to the floor of the mouth and we can't shape the palate because it can't rest in the palate, you know, that causes functional impact. And here we are. Um, so yeah, there's definitely a major role there. And and then we we, you know, I have colleagues and I'm I always say I'm not a dentist, so I don't move bone. I don't claim to move bone for a living. Um, but I have a lot of colleagues will say these children or these infants and toddlers who had struggles with this at first tend to turn into, I mean, obviously things can happen and derail your nasal breathing as well throughout your life, but these individuals tend to turn into sometimes teens with ADHD. Sometimes it's harder to perform in school with sleep. They turn into adults with sleep apnea. Sometimes, you know, they have sleep apnea younger in life. And, and we're, we're seeing more children, preschool even, with obstructive sleep apnea because of enlarged wow. voids and tissues. And, and these kids are, you know, they just, they've got the venous pooling. They look exhausted. And it's no wonder they're acting out in preschool and in their classrooms and they're not doing well in school. They're not getting restorative sleep. They're a mess. So, yeah. I mean, we would all be the same way. So it's, yeah, it's very interesting. Um, and then on the, the mouth taping topic, um, for adults, I'm very pro whatever you want to do for yourself. And I think some adults will do it and say it's very helpful. I have other adults who told me they feel like they're suffocating when they've tried to do that and they couldn't manage it. And so I always say with, um, mouth tape with the uh, confirmation that you have a patent nasal airway. So if that means you need a like CBCT scan or something just to confirm that your septum is not blocking. Like for me, I just had uh, nasal surgery not a year ago, about 10 months ago uh, for a deviated septum. And it wasn't deviated in the front. It was back left. And I actually, being in this space, had no idea <laughs> my nasal airway was without the CBCT. Um, and I had expansion and braces as a kid. I went into adult expansion as an adult with trying to, you know, really more dental, you know, expansion, trying to make some more room for my tongue um, and had a tongue tie release and all the things. And at the very end of it, I went, you know, I really wish I had dressed my nose first because I think that that was a barrier for certain other things I did. I probably could have had a lot more success. Um, but my sleep, when we read the raw data with the, I had a colleague of mine, Ken Hooks on the podcast and he read it on a podcast and went through everything. And I've been missed for so many years because everyone said, oh, you don't have sleep apnea. You're fine. You're fine. You're female. You're bent. You're young. You don't have sleep apnea. But I have UARS. I have upper airway resistance syndrome, which is newer. And my body was never going into REM sleep. Like it would go into REM and boom, like I would pop out of it. 
but I wasn't actually fully becoming awake. So I had no idea. I was just tired all this time. <laughs> um, so anyways, all that to say, you know, I always caution people. I say I'm all for it because I think it can help train. But on the flip side, I also have patients who say, you know, I don't want to wear something every night for the rest of my life, whether that's a CPAP or mouth tape or whatever. Um, and so we do work with a lot of kids and adults through myofunctional therapy to help train the orofacial structures to actually rest, you know, properly so that you don't have to use those things at night, barring all other things are addressed, you know, and then allows for that um, structurally. So long answer. You know, you know, a lot, lot, of, lot of good points there. And, and uh, airways becoming a big topic in dentistry as well. There are uh, dental, I don't know the exact uh, abbreviation, but the, the Academy of Dental Sleep Medicine is a uh, mm -hmm. foundation that, that uh, dentists pursue to try and get their credentialing in that in that topic and field. And, and it's definitely a, uh, a um, an up-and-coming part of dentistry that people recognize like, oh man, we've been missing this for years. It's time to get on board and really help first identify and diagnose these people and get them to the right people for treatment. Because as you mentioned, it, I can only imagine the amount of money it costs society and lost production, sleep, health, relationships, jobs, productivity, everything for uh, a lack of uh, quality sleep. Yeah, I, I, I don't know what the number is, but I know there's a really high incidence of divorce over like snoring yeah. and sleep and, you know, people ending up in different rooms and just it's it, <laughs> relationships. Yeah. It's yeah. pretty interesting. So, you know, oh, yeah. you guys can save a whole bunch of marriages too. So. Yeah, absolutely. We do it all. <laughs> I love it. So, yeah, that's, you know, I think it's really important, though, this message, you know, surrounding the oral microbiome, surrounding, you know, what we're putting in our body, on our, you know, on our bodies, um, the ability to nasal breathe, all of these things. I'm, I'm excited. I think it's a very exciting time. I think we have a lot more work to do in educating the general public because it's just not the normal conversation. Um, and, and even in one of my groups, uh, one of our members just posted a question earlier today and said, you know, I sent this patient to an ENT and they... The parent came back and said, oh, well, my, you know, my child's mouth breathing. The auntie said that that's normal. Some people just mouth breathe. And I was <laughs> like, I feel embarrassed to even ask this question. Am I missing something here? She's like, it's not normal, right? I'm like, no, no, it's not normal ever. We got, we got, we got some work to do. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, okay, all right. Well, it's interesting you you mentioned uh, like the, the oral systemic connection and the oral microbiome. And I think a lot of uh, times too the previous philosophy and I have a tremendous amount of respect for what came before us, but yeah, I think a lot of it was just scorched earth policy, just bacteria bad, kill it at all costs, douse it with alcohol, just sanitize complete sterility. And uh, I had read a book several years ago called 10% human looking at how, how much bacteria, like the healthy, good bacteria that's in our, in our system and, and comprises a huge function of our digestive tract and stomach and, uh, really helps us in, in so many ways that we're really only now becoming aware of. And and uh, look, absolutely, antibiotics save lives. If you have a acute systemic infection, you need them. But to to willy nilly be prescribing antibiotics for for all those years that you know maybe in some cases we didn't always need to. And it was usually look at a, the the best of intentions, just be proactive and, and defensive, and uh, make sure we were taking care of people. But yeah, it really disrupts uh, the whole system when you're the scorched earth killing everything. Uh, and that's that can lead to a other host of conditions, whether it's GI imbalance or Clostridium difficile or just other things. So I think as providers, we're becoming much more conscious of antibiotics that we're prescribing and realizing the balance of good, good, healthy bacteria and, and really to respect that and not not just kill it at all, all costs. 
Well, and you know, I know that obviously our gut, we have a big impact with the antibiotics and these medications and everything. Um, how does that impact the, you know, our oral cavity? Are, you, are there also big changes when we're taking antibiotics, like things that we should be aware of? In the mouth? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, when you're looking at the, the use of antibiotics, there are opportunities where if you've got a periodontal infection, so infections in the gums that attack the soft tissues, usually starts with gingivitis. Gingivitis is gums that bleed. Uh, when it progresses on, and it's left untreated, it progresses to periodontitis. That's irreversible bone loss. So you definitely want to, to intercept and stop that process from happening. And yeah, there are some, some antibiotic cocktails that you can use uh, locally right in the gums uh, to help some of those little, little infections here. Um, but ab absolutely, there's an interplay of the healthy bacteria in the mouth as well. And really examining the products you're putting in your mouth. Again, there's this scorched earth policy of kill everything at all costs, probably not the best approach. And uh, you know, a lot of these products that were out there were just heavily concentrated with, with alcohol as an ingredient. And absolutely, alcohol kills. Uh, but at what cost? It kills a lot of, of your healthy microbiome uh, as well. Mm. And really looking at that interplay of keeping that balance, uh, because when things get out of balance, that's when you can see the rise of the deleterious bacteria from the ones like strep mutans that lead to the decay and the cavity causing process, or the, the periodontal or gum pathogens that leads to the breakdown of, of the soft tissue support around the mouth here. Um, so I, I would recommend not, not using an alcohol-based mouth rinse for sure. I think that's fine. That that, that really isn't, isn't necessary to have something quite so harsh. Not only does it kill everything, but it uh, really uh, excessively dries out your oral mucosa, uh, and so that 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 is another negative consequence of that as well. So just really be mindful about all, all kinds of beauty products and food, but your your oral hygiene products as well, because it's it's actually going inside your your, your mouth here. So you don't really need detergents. Uh, you don't really need sodium lauryl sulfate, which is a foaming and suds uh, agent that causes suds and bubbles you, you don't need bubbles and i know sometimes people uh comment on us oh your toothpaste doesn't bubble it's like yeah because we took the chemicals out you don't need it um crazy idea but uh your mouth is highly absorbent and you don't want uh th those things in your mouth <laughs> yeah no i'm laughing because when my husband first switched over he was like well it's not as minty and it doesn't like do the same thing as the other one and i was like <laughs> Yeah, because it's not going to kill you. So maybe, you know, you should use this one instead of that one. I mean, I have to be like really drastic with him to get him to change things sometimes. So, you know, it doesn't actually do that necessarily, but no. I know. So yeah, it was, it was interesting because he was just like, it doesn't, it's just not as minty and it's not, as, and it, I don't taste it. Give him a cake batter. Give him the kids cake batter one. Right? I know. I'm like, I him, I was like, does it matter what it tastes like during or after? I mean, it tastes minty during, though. Do you have to have the minty like saying after? Does it have to foam in your mouth? Does it have to like, it's still working? And he's like, are you sure? I'm like, I'm pretty sure. Otherwise, I'm pretty sure that, you know, Jen wouldn't have given this to us so to eat. So, so even, even though it says kids on the on the package, adults can still use the kids flavor because the only the only difference is the flavor. Uh, so okay. if the minty is too strong, use the cake batter. And also we've got some some fun surprises on different uh, flavors and, and products coming out in the next several months here that we'd like to unveil soon. Uh, so keep an eye out as that for well as well for people that, you know, they might think it's too minty or they want different options. Yeah, no, that's awesome because my daughter's about to turn five and I was actually she was sitting there yesterday and she's like, I don't want the minty one that Lily uses. I want to keep using this one. <laughs> like, okay. And I was like, maybe I should look into like whether I need to switch her. So that's really helpful to know. We can just keep her on the cake batter. <laughs> Perfect. Absolutely. Absolutely. Awesome. So 
Um, is there anything else you want to share? Obviously, tell us where they can buy, you know, the products and everything. But anything else we did not cover today that you want to talk about? I thought that was super thorough and, and uh, helpful for for um, for everybody out there. And just thank you for allowing our our audience to connect with your audience. I think there's a lot of synergy between our two communities, and we're just excited to uh, have the space and share time with you. So I mean, currently we're direct to consumer through our website. So risewell.com is the best place to to find us. We're in some select re- retailers like uh, Nordstrom's and some select fine markets like Credo and I think in California and Manhattan. Um, and also we're in about select uh, 500 select premium dental offices across the country. So see if your local person is is offering it. Um, we are, um, but those are, that's where people can find us. And of course, the we have a blog and we really try and contribute to the, to the information out there on social media for uh, oral hygiene and oral health. So you can follow our blog and, and newsletter and really we'll try and keep people updated uh, with the science that's coming out, but it's exciting stuff. That's awesome. And that's risewell.com, right? It is. Perfect. Perfect. Well, we will have that in the show notes and we'll link everything to this so they know how to find you and where to buy the toothpaste and all the other the products that you guys offer. Um, I'm excited to hear about the future the future flavors and, and what's coming down the pipe. So keep definitely keep us posted, although I get your texts and email, so I'm sure I'll see it as soon as it's launched. <laughs> yeah, we will. We got some fun, fun surprises coming out for the community. Awesome. Well, thank you. This has been so much fun, Derek. I appreciate you joining me. All right. Take care. Thanks again. Thanks for listening to this podcast. If you want to hear more of these Myotots airway and feeding related episodes, be sure to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or pledge a small amount on patreon.com forward slash the untethered podcast. If you found value, others you know in this space will too. So be sure to share this episode on your social media platforms and join us over on Facebook, on my Facebook page at Hallie Balkan Biz, on Instagram at, at Hallie Balkan. And you can head over to the untetheredpodcast.com to grab a copy of the show notes um, where you can also subscribe to be kept up to date on the latest podcast episodes. 